We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And the Lakers got a pair of wins this weekend to make, move it to five out of their last six. Uh, first in Portland, a 107-95 victory, and then a 105-104 nail-biter against Houston. And Mike, it's funny, there are very clear patterns emerging with this team of when they're good and when they are not and the reasons why. And there are several things that are pretty bad right now in terms of the level of performance. And yet, between Anthony Davis, who I don't think gets near, like I heard people talking about how he had a bad game against Portland. He had eight stocks in that game. He must be the only player in the league that can have eight stocks in a game. Be like, ah, rough game for him. Anyhow, but the guy I want to start out with is the, the ageless wonder, LeBron James. 72 points this weekend, Mike. You were on the broadcast last night talking about him shooting career highs in various uh, efficiency statistics and just a guy who's redefining what is possible. And I just wanted to start with LeBron, man. There's just not enough words, man. What, what was your impression from his performance this weekend, getting the Lakers a couple of wins? LeBron has been so good for so long that it's impossible not to take it for granted, even if you've watched him every day. So that's the first thing. But when you try to whittle it down some, Pete, I don't understand the efficiency. That, that's been the hardest thing to wrap mm. the mind around this year that he's playing at because you see a very typical trajectory for an NBA player or really any athlete in any sport. And starting out as a rookie and, you know, there are some stats that pop, but they start to go up at least a little bit every year, maybe from ages, if you want to start at age 20, then by age 27, 28, 29. And this is what would commonly be known if you weren't LeBron James as a prime, right. like when you actually the physical meets the mental. And and then at a certain point, maybe it's 30 for some guys, maybe it's 32. The best players maybe get to like 33, 34. But mm-hmm. but even at even in that, the decline starts at least some, whether it's points, rebounds, assists in the NBA context, but at a bare minimum, it's efficiency. Um, the efficiency starts to go down because the body can't get to the same spots. You lose a little bit on the vertical, just something. The, the lateral movement goes a little bit. And LeBron has figured out 
between this combination of mental and physical, how to not lose even a crisp uh, of a of a wafer, like even the top layer of efficiency on offense to start this season. And I mean, just the numbers in November, 28.3 points on 61% from the field, 44% from three. And I don't have, I didn't look up at the rim numbers, but they are astonishing. Uh, I, the last time that I looked him up, Pete, the efficiency rate that he's converting once he actually gets into the paint. And that's the part that is really tough to wrap one's mind around. There are parts of the game that have slipped and most of it is defense and the first three quarters, especially. And he's just not, he's in the right spots. He's just not making the same types of contest. Say for example, that Anthony Davis is, of course, you just mentioned the, the stocks for AD are out of control this year. And so LeBron is getting help on that end. And, and those are part of the reasons why the Lakers have struggled in part uh, on whether it's on defense or on the glass and so forth. But his offensive efficiency remains at an all-time high. So let me turn this question back to you. And what have you noticed offensively about the spots that he's getting to, about the rhythm that he's in? And I should have mentioned the word rhythm because that's what he yeah. said uh, when I asked him in the walk-off. But the the offense, Pete, what is standing out to you? It's funny. whenever. He gets asked a lot like year 21, how do you do it type of questions? How did you have a performance like tonight or just in, Inclu- in general? Including by me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, of course. Time. I mean, that's the it's again, redefining the what's possible, pushing the game forward. And the first thing he almost invariably says is he talks about his mind, not his body. Right. That's the first place I think a lot of our, our heads go is like the preservation of his body and all of that. And none of this would be possible without that. But in the present moment, he's always talking about his his mind and the ability to focus himself. And so he's somebody who knows more about the first person perspective of basketball than I think anybody else ever has. He certainly has more reps as being a superstar caliber player than any other player has because as you illustrated, like most people follow a certain arc where by the time they're at this point of their career, very few even get to this point. But if they are, they're more of a role player. They don't have the same sort of on-ball type of reps. Well, LeBron's been doing this since 2003 in terms of being the man on offense. And he, what I see on tape, and this has been such a gift to watch him now in his sixth year with the Lakers from, especially after getting the Lakers gig where I get the melts afterward and it's like seven different angles of the same play all up close and whatnot. His understanding of like when to slow down, when to accelerate, when to give a guy a shoulder nudge, when to, to seal him, his fundamentals are super underrated. The last play of that game, we drew the foul and uh, and made the free throw to, to clinch it. Dylan Brooks was trying to fight around his post seal. And Dylan Brooks is really good at this. Just shout out to the Rockets in general. They became a serious basketball team uh, over the course of this summer. And like they're a, a legit team that's going to compete with you and really good defensive team. Anyhow, Brooks is trying to get that low side steal. And LeBron is sealing him and sliding his feet with him to where the post, the pass, uh, the post entry pass goes all the way out to the three point line. But because LeBron sealed him, it was one of those, as soon as he caught it, it was like, Oh shit, there's a free lane to the basket and the whole Houston team converges on him. And then his finishing around the rim, Mike, is that whole idea of like knowing what's coming. And it's very like Neo in the Matrix type of thing where there's like four guys, but he knows exactly like when to give the little forearm nudge and then when to rip over from his left side to his right type of thing. Mike, that it's just like just watching a master at work that that's why I am in on LeBron James's superstardom in a long-term sense, quote unquote, as, as insane as that sounds until he shows us that he can't because 
his physical skills and then the mental aspect of the game. He, he can keep those. Those will stay. He will still be strong. He will still know how to post seal. He will still know exactly when to do what in ways that even as the vertical diminishes, as the speed diminishes, he's still going to be super effective. And then that 44% from three, Mike, awesome to hear, right? I think that's a big component of it. The only thing I wanted to add that stood out when you were describing him and the the intricacies that he has, the ways that he knows how to get advantage that have been built on being in high leverage NBA moments for so long. I, as as most people do, had not when I, say I was 20, so I was 24 years old at the time, had not played against a professional athlete like actual played. And uh-huh. I've, again, I've told this story before, but I was working for the Timberwolves and the Lynx in Teresa Edwards, the um, Hall of Fame four-time gold medalist, women's legend. basketball player, uh, a legend, was one of the assistant coaches. And to just tell the short version of it, I played one-on-one against her, and I just I didn't even understand what she was doing to get. <laughs> it's yeah. like all of a sudden the ball would go up and her body would be in a position where I couldn't get an angle to it. And even at that point, she was like 44 or something. And so I mm-hmm. was faster. That was about the only thing, the only advantage that I had on her. And And then I would have the ball and I would put it on the floor and she would she would like nudge my hip in a certain way where I couldn't lean back to, to cross over. It just things again that I had played against like anybody else, you know, high school level and pick up in college and stuff like that. And I, I really didn't understand what was happening. And LeBron takes that oh, to yeah. such a degree further um, combined with his strength, because when he he knows how to put his hand on you, not enough to get a foul but enough to completely eradicate whatever movement that your body was going to make. And he knows where to launch off of like when he's taking off on his left foot, he knows where to put his right leg and he knows at what angle to hold his elbow. Just all of these little things where if you did, <laughs> you've been doing a lot more uh, like a film room breakdowns, which I've been loving, including the one on camera just steals the other day, which people should check out. You could do one in super slow-mo just on like one LeBron drive. Yes. I'm okay, planning on doing yeah. something and similar like, to this. And yes. look, and this foot places here and that removes this defender's ability to get across him. And then when he plants his right foot, that removes the help defender's ability to get up. And then when his elbow goes up in the air, that, you know, it's just it's one little trick after another that he has mastered to the class that probably nobody has. I swear to you, Mike, I woke up this morning with that exact thought of like, oh, a LeBron, like below the rim type of, uh, you know, finishing. Because that stat that you said, at least recently, he was like shooting 80 something percent in the restricted area and was leading the league. I don't know if that's still the case, but it's because of those type of scenarios. And I swear to you, I woke up this morning going like, I got to do an LFR vid of LeBron doing this. Are we going to brain meld or is this, is this my idea or yours? A a few years ago, Mike. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we're, we're becoming one. (laughs) Well, that's good. That gives that, that means I'm starting to know more about basketball. So I, I'm glad, I'm glad that I've been part of the pod. Uh, All right. Well, LeBron, Pete, why don't we, why don't we take a break? I mean, there's, there's a lot more to unpack with LeBron. There's also a lot else that happened in that game. So, um, so dealer's choice actually, I guess, receiver of the deal's choice when we come back. Uh, take, take us to the next level. So one of the things I'm trying to do right now is eat better. But that can be difficult to do during the NBA season and all of the responsibilities that I have. And so I recently joined Factor. And Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service to help me do that. 
They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for your healthy lifestyle while tackling all of your holiday to-dos. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat them up and enjoy. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh and never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. If you're looking for a special occasion meal during the holidays, you can level up with Gourmet Plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Enjoy premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus, with no microwave required. Ready in just two minutes, with no prep and no mess. I ordered the Chef's Choice option to get a variety of their different meals. Head to factormeals.com slash Lakerfilm50 and use code Lakerfilm50, all one word, to get 50% off. That's code Lakerfilm50 at factormeals.com slash Lakerfilm50 to get 50% off. All right, so Mike, I'm going to uh, bring our mood down a little bit. Uh, to On the flip side, we had... Phenomenal performances from LeBron and AD, especially in that third quarter. I will, would love to talk more about, and I think this will tail into what we're talking about, AD in the post. Lakers really went to that in a third quarter that they won by 12 points that was really decisive. Um, a LeBron and AD performance that was fantastic leads to a one-point win at home against Houston, who's better, right, but not one of the contenders in the league. And so your two superstars are balling out and everything else is bad enough to where you just eke that out. Mike, we still can't hit a shot. Like <laughs> we're, I think 28th in the league in three point percentage. If you take out that one game where we went nuts and set an NBA record, it's probably 30th. Um, the units where Austin is leading the group at point guard are having a real hard time creating shots. And so that to me, Mike is the, how far can we go? Where can we take this? The other units are playing really, really well. And then there are a couple that are just really bad. And so I want to focus on on that. And that second unit offense is really struggling. Yeah, to start this, LeBron and AD, the point I want to make this and I want to bring Denver into it so it doesn't seem like it's just a Lakers point and from just a Lakers perspective. But before the year, I thinking about Denver was worried. And I guess if I were a Denver fan, right, and I would be worried that they're going to ask Jokic to, again, just sort of have to do too much, even though he's in his total prime and he's been dominating. And he's been just as good to start this season as he was last year. But Denver has finally started to slip a little bit. And it's energy. It's the, uh, the opponents coming at them. It's the fact that Jamal Murray's been out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they lost a couple games that they typically would have won. And, and all of that. And here we are still in November. And before the season, in terms of the Lakers, all of the stuff we just talked about with LeBron, that's all great. I still would like to spread that out uh, from a Lakers perspective sure. throughout the season and not need him have to play 40 minutes, take 19 shots, do all that he did uh, to in order to, as you just said, Pete, beat the Rockets by one. Same thing with all the, the load that Anthony Davis has been carrying, which I think is probably more than almost any other player in the NBA, in the NBA when, when you consider everything that he has to do on defense and then still you know go for 30 on a given night. And some of this comes down to simple lack of shot making. And if so, here are the numbers. Reddish one for five, Prince 0 for four, Russell one for five from three. Rui 0 for four, Christian Wood 0 for three. Austin hit two of three, LeBron hit two of five, and I mentioned the one from Reddish. So most of those were open. Not necessarily completely wide open, but many of them were completely wide open. And, you, you know, you guys can all do the math. Like Houston, they hit 
the expected amount at worst of their open shots. They were 14 for 37 from three. If the Lakers just hit two of those more, like the game has enough padding that it doesn't need to get to where it got. So that that's one of those like game one against Portland in the bubble when the Lakers just could not buy a bucket and they actually lost the game. Mm-hmm. But we we weren't that con- – well, I shouldn't say we. I wasn't that concerned because the Lakers were getting amazing shots and eventually yes. – some of them are going to have to go in. It doesn't have to be 40%, but it's, even if it's 27%, like sure. you're probably fine. So that's, that's where you start. The place where I think that it's been a clear game to game in the text thread, like this is not working. This is not working. It's that it's when LeBron and D'Lo go out and it's Austin as being asked to just lead that unit that doesn't have any other creation. And that to me, Pete, I, I do think that there's one, I don't want to say easy solution, but something that could actually that could help that. Before I get to that, though, I want to get I want you to dig in on what is not working about that group. So a couple of weeks ago, Darwin was referring to the beginning of the season of which he did not define how long this period is, but he called it a period of discovery. And this to me is one of the real benefits about having a training camp and a real year to work with uh, with the same group in that last season when. After the trade deadline, there was no time to like, oh, let's try this for 10 games and see if it works, right? Like, no, no, we had a playoff race to to get into and we had to win games. And so at there is some benefit that at the beginning of the year, you may lose a couple of games because you're trying something to see if something works. But you may also find that, oh, wow, Cam Reddish works really well in the starting group alongside LeBron and AD. And if you put some structure next to him, he can be super helpful. And so that's part of it, right, is discovering this works and this does not. One of those period of discovery top line items I thought was, can Austin Reeves run his own unit from the perimeter? And I think that most of the answer so far has been no. I think that he's at his best when he has another ball handler on the floor, even if he's the guy that has the ball, right? So we closed that game, and a lot of our late-game offense this year, Mike, has been LeBron and Austin two-man game. And a lot of times it's Austin on the ball, and LeBron is the screener either popping out or rolling off of it. And that's been great. It's been really effective offense. But it's the fact that Austin is not the only ball handler on the floor at that time that I think really helps. Same thing true about game one against Memphis, right? You also have LeBron and D'Lo out there that he's <clears throat> the third ball handler. Oftentimes this year, it's been him, Torian Prince, Rui Hachimura, Anthony Davis, and who's the fifth been, Mike, in that group? But it hasn't been a ball handler most of the time, right? Yeah, sometimes sometimes Christian Wood, sometimes Jackson Hayes, like if, yeah, if they're, yeah, if they're playing with another big, but it's, yeah. But, or, or sometimes Reddish's minutes get extended there, but it's, yeah, it's not, it's definitely not another ball handler because the only other ones they have healthy um, are LeBron and Russell, and they're That's both right. sitting on the bench. And so, in context with us running a lot of pick and rolls out of five out, and I think that we've done a much better job over the last several games of creating double gaps and just kind of being intentional. Houston was a team that switches a lot, especially when Shingun isn't on the floor. He was in foul trouble, as was AD, right? But in that third quarter, a big part of that was Shingun went out early in the third, and they started switching everything, and we start being really intentional about going into the post. I was so happy to see that because part of that has been we've still been trying to break guys down off of the dribble, and this is something that Austin's an interesting player in that when he is off of the ball, he 
seems to he when when he's off of the ball the his understanding of five on five situations is really high and he's great at making the swing passes understanding when to attack a closeout when he's on the ball he seems to look at it more at a from a one on one or at least that's how he plays it's more of a break you down off the dribble one on one type of thing where he's either missing or late with a lot of reads and so those groups that you're talking about Mike uh, per NBA Wowie in 96 minutes they have an offensive rating of just 89.6. It's really bad. You want to be in the 110s and above, uh, ideally. And they're just having a real hard time creating shots. And so that, to me, is the group that really sticks out. And when the starters are bad, too, oftentimes, um, although this group with Reddish is certainly better than the one where Austin was in that group, that's how you get down by 10, as we were once again in the first quarter uh, against Houston. And so... To me, that is one of the places to zero in on is improving the offense with those second unit groups. Yeah, for sure. And I want to say this first about Austin. I think that Austin could do whatever it is that you actually needed him to do. Um, uh, but he's what he's doing now with the second unit is like almost trying to play the same way that's given him so much success, mm-hmm. but with with group with a group that can't really support that in the same way. And especially when this when the defense is all over it um, as or just one point to to that, Mike, in Portland, he had like Matisse Tybel on him as uh, the ball pressure guy. And it's like that's why Tybel's in the league. Right. That's what he does. And when it's only Austin in the game, that's who he's wrestling with. Right. Right. For sure. So that's a big that's a big part of it. But if if it was like, hey, Austin, here's the here's the group that you're going to be with. And. I think that over time, you know, give him 10 games, like he would figure out a way to optimize it by, say, just giving the ball up earlier and then going around to the other side and getting a screen. Or, But it seems like that unit is just kind of playing and the other and the opponent is ready for that, is ready for whatever that style is. But so that's that's one thing. It's like, I just don't think that Austin like can't do something. I think that he's got enough uh, skill and enough kind of mental acuity about the game that he would eventually figure it out. So that's one. But I think in the short term, the sensible fix is just to extend Russell's minutes. Like, why does Russell need to come out at the six or the eight minute mark? It's not like he's super tired. He plays a very controlled style. He's never really get getting too far out of that. And if you just extend Russell's minutes some and have him play with Reeves there, Reeves can still be on the on the weak side. And then you either have the last two minutes of the quarter. If AD's in, just run those post ups that were so effective. Uh, and and not not to simplify it down to that, but like there are things. You, if Anthony Davis is on the floor, you also don't have to get stuck um, out in the perimeter in offense. And then LeBron comes back to start the second quarter, and you're basically solving the problem in some senses. I think you're addressing the problem. I don't know if you're entirely solving it. So let's take a break and continue down that that line of thought. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Dino had a rough game against Houston. And one of the things that has struck me about some of his, some of his minutes has been the pace of play. And that unit in particular, where LeBron is off of the floor, floor, they slow down a lot. And so I think that Darius has called these the kitchen sink units, where it's like, if LeBron is out, you have your next four or five best offensive players on the floor just to generate enough offense. But to me, a big part of it is that the initial advantage isn't being created. So you have a lot of like advantage extenders or even finishers and guys like Wood and Rui and, and all that. But and even AD is on the, obviously on the floor in these groups too, but you're not like kind of creating the initial advantage in the first place to create the good shot. And there's, I think we have a pace of play problem that I think Russell kind of exacerbates sometimes with the with the second unit groups. But that said, Mike, like Austin, even more so, right? He's had a lot of possessions. I know after the Portland game, which was one of those games where it was like only reason that was even remotely close was because that particular group struggled on the offensive end. Uh, you asked Darvin like about what do you want to see from those second units? And he's like, if you don't have the initial action, like keep it moving. There were a lot of positions where Austin was kind of dribbling the air out of the ball. And so there's, I, I don't have this fully fleshed out, Mike, in terms of like the argument for it, but there's a certain pace and rhythm that I think that group needs to have where either it's outlets getting out in transition. I also think not having a pressure point of attack defender really plays into this. I think that I'm super excited to see Cam and Vando play. Like there's a super villain laugh somewhere in there of watching both of them on the court at the same time. But I think that one of the things that's going to be super helpful is having at least one of them on the floor at the same time. And so in a lot of those groups, there isn't that defensive catalyst as well that to kind of trigger the pace of it. So I'm a little all over the place with that, Mike. But even with D'Lo, I agree that that's addressing the issue, but I think that there are some issues beyond that that have stood out to me with respect to pace. Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't have the solution for that either. If let me start here, though, if you are looking to create an advantage and say that Russell isn't on the floor, isn't an advantage just having somebody come set a screen for Austin? It can be, but what if they switch and a lot of second units do? then isn't that what this team is so good at about changing sort of the angle and the the place of where the screen is and, you know, just going f- further to one side? So Yes, but when they're switching it, it's ultimately going to come down to matchup hunting a lot of times. And I think that's where the post-up play, that's why I, why I was so excited because a lot of times when teams are switching that, Mike, is it's been like Austin or D'Lo trying to break a guy down off the dribble and it results in a yeah. contested pull-up jumper, right? When in reality, the advantage that you have is like, oh, that guy's guarding Rui? Let's get the ball to Rui. You know, that guy's guarding AD? Let's get the ball to him. Same thing is true with Wood, that I've started to see more of that when we do that to where I think that's more of the answer. But the switching kind of neutralizes the pick and roll game in ways that if you can't match up Hunt out of that, it can be tough to score. How much less, how much were teams switching last year against 
I don't know that Austin had his own unit in that sense because he started the game coming off the bench with Westbrook and then eventually, but yeah. Dennis is a guy who is tough to switch on in, because he's got that turbo button so yeah, that he's a guy like, that if you yeah. put a, a bigger player out there. So we miss the downhillness of Dennis, of even a guy like Lonnie, right? Just having like one guy that can get downhill. That's part of the, we've seen some of the good of the Austin and D'Lo pairing. Part of the bad of it is like neither... Like what teams are doing with Austin is they're putting an athletic defender on him and they're ball pressuring him. And if you do that to a Dennis Schroeder type, he's going to just burst past you. Right. And so, again, it's more about like complimentary skills or Griffin for free throws. Or yeah, yeah, just fouls, hey, absolutely. Right? Man. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. By hook or by crook. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. No, that that all makes sense. So let's just this is still a ways away. But thinking big picture wise, the only other player on the roster that you know is going to have the ball in these types of situations it is Gabe Vincent and Vincent isn't like Schroeder in that he's going to completely blow by you either right so what is so how so wrap that into all this and how the Lakers can find essentially offense that's efficient without an advantage creator like LeBron um, and if that is good enough if that's good enough to be a team that can really get there it's one of the big I don't want to say red flags, but one of the big yellow flags on this team is that it's a very, because it's get downhill. I've heard Darvin say this several times, even on some backstage Lakers episodes, you know, in practice, really emphasizing the get downhill part. But that is not the like ball pinging around in terms of ball movement style. It's more of an individualistic style of offense in that if you don't have that downhill guy within that style of play, that's a weakness. And that's something that in the context of got the trade deadline in February and, you know, do you need to make another move? It's one of those things, Mike, that this is an emerging pattern. This isn't something that's just a couple of games now. We're seeing this happen over and over again where it's like, oh, Lakers are having a hard time creating advantage with these second unit groups to where if you don't make a move. There are things that you have to go to to where like our, the post play, I think, is going to be super important, Mike. And so that's something. Let's talk about that for a little bit. AD, great in the post yesterday, you know, had a big time third quarter. Um, and so great to see him going on the offensive end against a good defensive team. My response to what you were just saying was going to be like, all right, they just give AD the ball every possession. And that's what they did yeah. against this good Houston defense. And I think, look. I got. I was talking to uh, Ben Golliver, the Washington Post. sits next to me at games. Um, oftentimes, if there, if it's not a national game, there's not another national uh, like broadcast reporter there. And we were having a net ratings discussing a uh, discussion, and like part of this whole thing early in the season, and Houston's discussed. Oh, well, Houston was top five in net rating, and look at their defensive rating. It's like, well, they played Sacramento twice at home without De'Aaron Fox. They played the Lakers without Anthony Davis, and they won all those games by combined like ninety points. Right, and that's why their rating is higher. You know, it doesn't mean yes, they've improved defensively, but it's just it. All of these numbers now need so much context, and that might be ironic from somebody like me who is using these numbers every day uh, in order to try and make points. But I at least try. I always try if I'm going to give you a number um, to give. Even if it's a five second explainer as to what is it relevant or is it not? Mm-hmm. And if like if Bill and Stewart are going to come down to me, here's here's what Anthony Davis is shooting from here. And here's why it, it, it actually has meaning as opposed to just the number itself. So in this case, I'm just I'm trying to discuss Houston in the context of like, yeah, they're improved defensively, but they're still not great. Like they, mm-hmm. they've got. They've got Elper and Shangoon at the five and at the four. They're playing Jabari Smith Jr., who 
I barely noticed in the game mm-hmm. yesterday. That's a, that's an aside. I almost forgot that he was on the floor and he did end up with 14 points and like five rebounds. But so that to me, they do have with, with Brooks and with Van Vliet super solid. And I think that's, what's carrying them. They're serious guys. They're making everyone else try mm-hmm. to be serious, but like Jalen green still has a long way to go as well. Alas, this is why I, I bring up the point about Anthony Davis. Like they basically just ran the same exact play over and over and got a D to seal mm-hmm. his man and just catch the ball about five feet out from the right block and it just they got every shot that they wanted out of it either ad drove Mm -hmm. right past shangun and scored himself or a a double came and he made the right read lebron had a beautiful cut to the basket one time Mm -hmm. that's one solution they got a ton of wide open threes out of these actions they just happened to miss all of them and that's the thing like a couple of teams will have a decent answer for that type of thing where it would just get AD the ball here, but most don't. And the Lakers just don't end up going to it enough. Um, I almost inevitably feel like that at the end of the game, when I go over to talk to Anthony Davis, like, well, they could have just given me the ball a, a bunch more. Absolutely. And so seeing that in the third quarter was really uh, refreshing. And that to me is one of the big questions, especially with having this, not the situation where you don't really have a downhill guard to create advantage. AD is the hub of an offense. As somebody who proudly defends AD, a lot of it is presented from the defensive end where it's like, this guy is the best defensive player in the world and he's giving you an efficient 23 to 25 points a game. But the offensive end is the end part, right? It's not the lead part. And so with those particular groups, they actually need AD to be a great offensive player that can be a, well, you can't guard him one-on-one and therefore you have to send the second guy. If he can draw that second defender, that that makes Rui so much better. It makes Woods so much better. It just makes everybody's lives, Austin, so much easier that everything kind of clicks into place. And so that said though, Mike, the idea of like, okay, we need you to do everything on one end of the floor and then go be the guy that we give the ball to every single time. And then to have the audacity of like, oh, why are you banged up? Why are you hurt? Like, why can't you move all of our furniture into our new apartment? Like, and you know what I'm saying? Like I keep bringing this up, but he's the one guy who's helping in in a lot of areas. And so that I I worry about that, but AD is going to have to be the hub of offense for those units to be able to score. Well, just to add, add a little bit of something on the top to that. Christian Wood, who has had his struggles for the last couple of weeks after a great start, I thought was really good in Portland and then, you know, had a a down game again against Houston. But Christian Wood and then Rui Hachimura, these are both guys that can take advantage of any type of a mismatch. They can both back a guy down and get a little midi. Christian Wood's usually pretty good at, at just if the guard's on him, he can just spin and dunk. He did that a couple of times in Portland. Both guys can shoot threes. So... I guess systemically, aren't there parts of an action that that type of group would run where, and you already mentioned this some in matchup hunting, but where you can just get Hachimura or Wood the ball in advantageous situations as well? Uh, And why why would that be happening a little bit less? And maybe it's because the ball isn't even getting entered into a player like that for 15 seconds, it seems like, uh, because of the high pressure on on Reeves. But that's uh, that is one thing where those guys should be able to carry some more water, shouldn't they? Very much so. And I think that the I'm seeing more and more intentionality to that. Uh, Rui had has had a few uh, post seals, right, where he's they're throwing that ball over the top. It's funny, Mike, and I, I can't wait to have this conversation with you and Darius over the course of the season on offense in particular. I think 
like the best version of us is going to sort of resemble a 90s, early 2000s type of team where it's like even the ball screens are in mid-range and there's a lot of post-ups. And I think that I think that with more reps and more going to post-ups, whether it's Rui or Wood or AD, all three of those guys can really chew up smalls down in the post. And so it, that is the antidote to those teams that like to switch. It's not Austin breaking guys down off of the perimeter. And even if you play D'Lo in those groups, it's not really what he does either. It's more about that intentionality and then knowing what teams do to help. Like, for example, AD in the post, and this is just common around the league, is the help's going to come from the baseline, right? Darvin calls this position the MIG. I don't know what that stands for. That might be an interesting thing to to find out, Mike. But like, uh, is this a Top Gun reference? Yeah, the MIG, uh, see, this... MIGs are, are Russian jets. They're like this jets, equivalent yeah. of like F F-16s and yeah, all that. Anyway. And they um, and they had them, they they were an advancement on the F-14. Right, right before the before the U.S. was like, all right, well, we can't have a Russian plane. This more this better than any of ours. So now, so now, you know, we made some more expensive planes than that. But yeah, that's right, and that's how it ended up in Top Gun. That's right, and so um, yeah, that position, the MIG, that that helper along the baseline, AD is is a mix on on that where he can get kind of snuck up on by those guys, and he's so tall and doesn't often get into like a low position where they crowd him in ways that make passing angles hard. And they like, they get underneath his legs in ways where it's like, sort of like if you watch an NFL game and a quarterback is having the pocket pushed on them and they can't really step into their throw, that can make the pass more inaccurate to the receiver because they can't really like step toward the guy that they're throwing it to. Teams double AD a lot in that type of manner. And so he's kind of like standing up straight and fading away or and those passes can be less accurate. But we are just at, at like phase one, phase two of the action that can happen off of the ball, off of those post-ups, Mike, to where I think that like becoming more advanced and more sophisticated on what do we do out of our post touches, knowing, okay, if they're going to send that baseline help, we're going to set a pin screen on the weak side and skip that over. And like you said, there were a few possessions where they had really nice ball movement and then it was a break in a corner three, you know? Is it is it possible that it's most important guy? Oh. I'll have to... Oh, it probably is. He said that's the most. That's totally what Meg stands for. <laughs> okay. I think that might be what it stands for. Uh, ask him he that. Did say ask him that if you get a chance. Year. He said yeah. it. No, I asked him last year, and I think I think it I think it's the most important guy. Anyway. Uh I the one other thing I just wanted to mention, Cam Reddish had three more steals. You, I alluded to this earlier, but you made a package of his steals and sort of how he gets them and why. And he is really fun to watch on that yes, end. Yes, he is. Because you're, you're, he's and the creeper cam thing. And it, it's like all of a sudden he's 10 feet away from where he was, almost like a like a super slide mm-hmm. um, in a video game. And he just kind of extends the arm and it's it's uh, it's it's wild. He played 39 minutes and I wasn't really even that mad about it. Whereas in the preseason, I think the first thought was, wait, why is he going in before Max Christie? Right. <laughs> you know, and, and now it's so not he's even come close. A, Yep. He's come a long way. And, you know, that was with a couple. His shot wasn't falling. He did hit the one corner three. Um, I think it was earlier in the fourth quarter. So that has been a fun development. Uh, and and just where he's at, I think, does make the team a little bit different. And I to just contextualize the Houston game alone, Lakers kept missing all of these shots and wide open shots. And I think that the fans almost in the building are just exasperated by it. But. Mm-hmm. The reason why they still won, aside from LeBron and AD being as good as they were, is because they had 13 steals. 
And I think Reddish represents a lot of this, but yeah. so Houston's turnovers were way up and therefore the Lakers were able to just take a lot more shots and including they took 29 free throws to Houston's 10. Um, so the field goal attempts themselves were around the same, but they just kept getting these additional possessions because of all of the length that they have out there now. And it's not just, you know, it's, it's not just Reddish, but then off the bench and it's Rui and Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes only played five minutes, but uh, D'Angelo had three deflections, all mm-hmm. steals. This mm-hmm. is something he's been better at this year. So that, that kind of thing to avoid having another shooting versus defense. And uh, it can be both sometimes, but that is just something I think worth mentioning and, and Reddish's presence, especially um, with that starting lineup, I think makes a, a huge difference there. Very much so. And it opens the possibilities defensively when you have a guy with that type of defensive range and you combine that with AD and Vando, the type of aggressive and attacking turnover forcing style that this team's going to be capable of. Gabe Vincent is, uh, you know, hopefully gets his knee right soon because he's the guy who can do that at the one spot too, to where you can put some nasty defensive lineups out there where all of the hand wringing that we do over the half court offense and all of that, Mike, like when this team's good and this has been true all year long so so far, it's a stampede. Vincent Reddish, Rui, LeBron, and AD, I suppose would be the P or or Vanderbilt, I guess. Yeah. Vanderbilt could be in one of those. So so I'm just trying to think who would be the, so Vincent Reddish, yeah, probably Vanderbilt, LeBron, and AD, and just a hellish ball pressure that, That's unit. just yeah. a nasty defensive group yeah. that might yeah, not yeah, be yeah, able yeah. to shoot well enough. I think that they're, it's worth trying, though. It's one of those things this where is kind of, I totally want to see it. It's like when I watch the Timberwolves and you have Edwards and McDaniel yes. um, out yes. in the perimeter, and it's just where – or even Boston right now with Holiday and uh, Derek White and then with either you know Tatum Brown, like they're just where are we going to start the penetration of this defense? Like when and then they're the rim actually protector behind in. them in Gobert, Porzingis, AD, right. same idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that works, uh, and I like those types of groups more yeah. um, than I like the current like five shooters all trend group. Nah, that it's like great. Well, you're not going to be able to get a shot off. So, and yeah, we don't have the type of shooters like Prince is a. 32.7% career playoff three-point shooter, right? Like he's a guy whose three-point percentage we've already seen drop off when the lights get a little bit brighter. And so I let's wrap up here. Uh, we will be back tomorrow to talk more Lakers. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Here by McLaughlin, three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. 
That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.